Welcome to The Bid, where we break down what's happening in the markets and explore the forces changing the economy and finance. I'm your host, Oscar Polito. The advent of AI has radically altered the landscape of work, reshaping the fabric of industries and prompting a monumental shift in how tasks are executed and decisions are made. Within the financial services industry, AI has induced both awe and apprehension. The financial world stands on the precipice of an AI-driven transformation, where the balance between machine intelligence and human ingenuity heralds a new era of possibilities, challenges, and responsibilities. For the first time, there's enough data, there's enough compute power, there's enough technology to fit models that enable you to talk to a computer and to have it talk back to you. Joining me today is Rob Goldstein, BlackRock's Chief Operating Officer, and Lance Bronstein, Head of Aladdin Engineering, BlackRock's Portfolio Management Software. Rob and Lance will help us consider the issues facing business operators. The idea that you could get to that first draft faster, that is not cheating. It is actually harnessing more information. From how to harness this technology to amplify human capabilities, redefine roles, upskill the workforce, and recalibrating approaches to risk management and client interactions. Lance and Rob, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Awesome. Great to be here. Thank you. Lance, this is your first time. I think you're what we refer to as a longtime listener, first-time caller. And Rob, it turns out, a little fun fact, is that you were actually the first guest on the first ever Bid podcast that we recorded. The topic was around fintech, the intersection between finance and technology. So it's very appropriate to have you back. I I actually assumed I was coming to get my royalty checks. Is that not what's happening here? (laughs) We know you've been busy. So we took a little bit of time in welcoming you back. That was about five years ago. You didn't spend a lot of time talking about AI on that episode at the time, but a lot's changed. It's 2024 and AI is top of the list of a topic that we've been addressing on the podcast. And This is a really great opportunity to hear from two business leaders at BlackRock about how it's impacting the business. So, Rob, maybe I can start with you. I'd love to hear your perspective on Gen AI and just how it's evolved over the past year, because it seems like things are evolving quickly. Taking a bunch of steps back, AI as a concept is not a new concept. In fact, sometime in the 1950s, MIT started its AI lab. So as a broad concept... AI has been around for a long time. So it's January 2024. But if you really think about it, from the period of time, more or less, of Davos last year, so in January 2023 till now, was actually, in my opinion, one of the most extraordinary times in the history of technology. And there were major, major, major step functions in terms of technology But it's less that there's sort of new math. It's this confluence of data, compute power, methods that have existed for a long time, all coming together in a way that effectively has enabled or really started the transformative journey to enable English to be how people interact with computers. People have grown accustomed to interacting with computers in certain ways. They've grown accustomed to interacting with them with a mouse, with a keyboard, through your phone, with your thumbs. But for the first time, there's enough data, there's enough compute power, there's enough technology to fit models 
that enable you to talk to a computer and to have it talk back to you. That capability, that step function, is actually, in my opinion, one of the most transformative technology step functions we will see in our lifetime. This is going to really change how people think of technology. I'm glad you mentioned that AI is not a new concept. It's popular now, but that it's something that's been around for decades. And we actually talked about that on a few episodes last year with some of our investment leadership, people like Jeff Shen and Brad Betts, who talked about Dr. Stephen Boyd and the AI labs that we've set up. I'm also fascinated that you've been in the industry and with BlackRock for 30 years, very close to technology, and that you're saying in the past year is some of the most transformational change that you're seeing. So how does that impact the financial services industry? You're the COO for BlackRock, so you're sort of the pace setter for change. And so what are financial services companies doing to try and stay up with that change? It's actually a super fascinating question because when you go to meetings and start talking about this stuff, People want to start talking about humanity, robots, when are the robots taking over humanity? So often I'm the one saying that's super important, but we need to focus on this through the lens of being in our jobs in a company. The way I like to think about it, this whole concept of language and English being the way people interact is a very different way technology is used. And it's a way that really impacts work patterns It's a way that really impacts how companies view productivity, efficiency, those broad concepts. I'll give you a couple of examples. So Lance and I were leading a group of people as we presented this to the board. We wrote a presentation, and in the presentation, we spoke about a variety of the aspirations that we had for BlackRock. But the key theme is that all of the technology tools we build People should be able to just type in what they want the tool to do, and the tool should be able to do that. That's number one. Number two is we produce a lot of client reports, performance evaluations, credit write-ups, prospectuses, whatever it is. That first draft, why can't that be done by a computer? Normally, the work pattern would be someone would then take that away, and four days later, you'd get a draft of the letter. Why can't right after that meeting we get a draft of a letter that's from a computer and then we all comment on it? So what we did for the board presentation is we wrote a PowerPoint presentation explaining what we were going to do, the strategy, the risks, all of those components, everything you would imagine. Then we actually fed it to ChatGPT within what we call a walled garden, basically our own version of effectively running the ChatGPT models, but within our own infrastructure. So we're not leaking any information. So we took that presentation, put it through the model, and we said, write a 1,000 word executive summary. Because in addition to submitting a PowerPoint presentation, we also would submit an executive summary more in like Microsoft Word, something that's more literal than a deck. I got the memo coming out of it, and I gave it to two people who are among the most critical people in terms of looking at memos. One was Larry Fink, and one was Martin Small, our CFO. Martin came into my office, and Martin said, I don't know why you didn't mention this. It's missing this. The tone's a little. You should be more confident in what we've done. I was like, oh, Martin, it was written by a computer. He's like, oh, really? He had no idea. And then with Larry, it was the same thing. The tone of this is off. And I said, Larry, it was written by a computer. We could set that tone. I could have said, here's a PowerPoint presentation. 
Here's 10 memos. Give me a memo in a thousand words that summarizes this PowerPoint presentation in the tone of these other memos. And I think if you look at it through the lens of a COO, the productivity that unlocks is beyond imagination. If you look at it through the lens of a normal person in terms of helping you in daily life through being able to talk to a computer and have the computer talk back to you, it really is a remarkable transformative opportunity. And that word productivity, the two of you are senior leaders and any time saved is very helpful, but it helps people across an organization. The example you just gave is time saved and being able to invest it elsewhere. And Lance, you sit at the forefront of the technology platform that BlackRock runs. And what is what Rob has discussed around the evolution of Gen AI mean for an organization that has a tech platform that employs engineers? What do those engineers do now when the Gen AI tools can do the kind of stuff that Rob described? Before I get to that, let me riff on the idea that this is really expansive. So when we say that this will impact productivity across job families, we mean that quite literally. We talked about executive presentation, getting to a first draft of a PowerPoint, a Word document. But imagine getting to a first draft of an application, having a software engineer not start with a blank slate, but say, do the thing that is like this other thing that we've done before, or an analyst summarizing broker documents, or a salesperson summarizing all of the interaction notes. The idea here is that this democratization of data and models really is expansive across the enterprise. It's every job family, HR professionals, legal professionals, compliance professionals will work differently. How does this impact the technology world? In a couple of ways. So if you have a technology platform, it will change the way that you think about the user interface and the user experience. First, the standard will become a chat interface, exactly what Rob was describing, which is an English language, natural language interface to the computer rather than code or rather than complex application navigation. Second, the way that you think about your information architecture, this is the way that information and data interrelates, changes. So instead of having to navigate four different applications to determine my risk, to book a trade, now I can simply ask a chat interface, like, tell me what my risk is, and on the strength of that risk, rebalance my portfolio in the following ways. That changes the navigation paradigm in a pretty profound way. And then finally, I think this notion of democratization of data and models is really powerful. The idea that more people will participate in a broader set of data-driven decisions than they have historically. And I'm not talking about data scientists and I'm not talking about PhDs. I'm talking about every single person involved in the investment lifecycle now will have more data at their fingertips than they ever have before. That is hugely powerful. So if you are at the helm of a technology platform, thinking about the interface, thinking about the democratization of data, thinking about your information architecture changes. I have two kids. I'm listening to you both talk. You're describing this world where things seem a little bit easier. Like I can get to a more advanced part of the work or the project sooner. And when I think about my kids, part of how they learn is trial and error. They learn from mistakes that they make. And, you know, we learn from our mistakes. So is the environment that you're both painting one where 
it's different in terms of how you develop talent because they don't get to learn as much from their mistakes. Maybe I'm not thinking about it right, but what does that mean for talent development in an organization? First, I think it's what Rob said a minute ago, this notion of getting to a first draft sooner. Part of the power of these large language models is prompting the model, often in a very precise way. So like when Rob talked about tone, you could create the initial draft and then go back and say, I'd like it to be in the tone of this other document, or I'd like you to refine this into a set of bullet points, et cetera, et cetera. So in terms of development and learning, the idea that you could get to that first draft of your term paper, of your science project faster by harnessing more data and more models, I think is a powerful learning tool. That is not cheating and getting to the Wikipedia result sooner. It is actually harnessing more information. Then the interactivity that you have with that first draft or with the model, I think is another learning opportunity. So the ability to prompt in an increasingly precise way, to me, drives a greater analytic mindset. Rob and I talk about this notion that we all are going to become developers. When you think about the human computer interface becoming a prompt in English, that means all of us are writing code. We may not think of it as code. Those prompts may not look like code. They may look like an English language sentence, but they're code. And they will generate code in some cases. So the precision with which you have to prompt the computer increases over time. So that learning to be more precise, more analytic, more data-driven is a talent opportunity. It's a learning and development opportunity. Let me just add, we try very hard to be tech optimists. And it's amazing how many things through the years you could point to as given this new technology, this means humanity is going to become much more stupid and humanity is doomed. But I'll give a couple of examples through my own personal lens. So my dad was a financial advisor. My dad, growing up, would work almost every night, but at nine o'clock, he would stop working because it was not polite to call people at home after nine o'clock. Once email came about, if you get an email at nine o'clock and you don't answer it by like 10 o'clock, you're considered rude. So everything just adapted. And if anything, expectations changed. It created a huge productivity boom in theory. As opposed to having to FedEx documents, you can now email documents. That's a productivity boom. But it didn't seem like the amount of work went down. Just expectations changed. And I think what happens with technology is as it empowers this new productivity and these productivity step functions, it brings with it changing expectations. People can look at these technologies through different lenses I look at it through the lens, I think there's going to be a giant productivity boom. I think there's going to be a giant expectations boom. And I think how people get smart will change. I don't exactly know how, but I know that humans are very adaptable. Technology is a tool that actually makes them even more adaptable. And I think that combination, I have confidence that people are going to get smarter, not less smart. You've given examples of the productivity boom, right? You mentioned the board presentation and the memo, and but now you just talked about the boom in expectations, and you touched on your dad being a financial advisor. That's a very client service-oriented profession, as most of financial services is. So 
Talk a bit more about how does this change what clients expect now that generative AI is more interwoven in business models? Absolutely. And if you zoom out for a second at the state of the industry, on the wealth side, most clients have websites or apps that they could access. They could see things in real time. But the truth is you get reporting once a month. And on the institutional side, it's equally the same, if not even more so, once a month. Oscar, if I said to you, in the year 2030, do you get reporting once a month? I think you'd be, hmm, I don't think so. Ultimately, you could imagine every day, every hour, every trade, whatever, if you want a summary of your portfolio and how it's changed, you have access to one. I think it's going to be very hard to fulfill that expectation with people. I think it's going to be very easy to fulfill that expectation with technology. And that is why that English component, the ability to talk to the computer in English and have the computer talk to you in English, that is why that is a whole new unlock with regard to technologies that will be profoundly impactful in terms of the day-to-day lives of people in ways that are unimaginable. You've both mentioned this point a couple of times, so worth reiterating that the language that you use to interface with computers has been coding languages for many years. But what you're saying is that now it's English is that language to interface with the computer and the coding goes on in the background. But by having that shift, more people can interact with the machines that are increasing productivity in businesses or the economy. Yeah, that's correct. The question often comes up because we've lowered the barrier to the human computer interface. Do professions like software engineering, software development, system engineering, data analytics go away? I believe the answer is a hard no. Not only do they not go away, but the burden that we put on our servers, on our computers, as we expand the aperture of the user base, in this case, the prompt engineers, who is every human who will interface with a large language model, actually grows. The burden on resilience, scale, performance, security increases. So the need for really talented engineers who could construct the back ends of all of these systems that now have quite an elegant low barrier to entry as a co-pilot or a chat I think that need grows over time. Now, I am, like Rob, a tech optimist and pragmatist. I am thinking the hard next 12 to 24 months, there are jobs to be done. They will be enabled by these generative AI technologies and these models, but they are jobs that we could predict. If we were having this conversation pre-COVID, the technology that we would be talking about was autonomous driving. It was like, why would you kids get a driver's license? Don't buy a new car. Everything is going to be autonomous driving. Then if you think about what happened, you basically had a once in a hundred years scenario where two people couldn't get into the car with each other unless they were in the same family pod. So if ever there was a time for autonomous driving to take over, It would have been then. Instead, what happened was driving trucks wound up being so in demand that in certain countries, they had to call up their National Guard to actually drive trucks because it became a matter of national security and national infrastructure. And I think as you listen to the subtext of what Lance and I are saying here, 
the subtext is this isn't about the computer alone. It's about the person being much more empowered, much more productive by the computer. But the person, in a very similar scenario to autonomous driving, still being part of that process, still being the critical control, still looking at what the computer is doing. I think where people get confused is they look at a world with no people. We look at a world with people who are enabled to be better by the power of the technology. You've both touched on the fact that you're both tech optimists and pragmatists, but always good to end on an optimistic note, I think, as we talk about any topic. So I'd love to just get your thoughts on the next year or two. What lies ahead? What haven't you discussed that gives you even more optimism about AI in a business setting? I have a vision that I believe will come true, which is right now there's this concept of the prompt engineer. So no one knew what that was a year ago. Now it's going to be the job of the future. And I have a different perspective on it. I'm very fortunate. I have two children. One of them is graduating this year, and one of them is a sophomore in college. And I think for my daughter, Sadie, who's a sophomore in college, by the time she graduates, I believe two things. One, the concept of a prompt engineer won't really exist. And two, whatever it was supposed to do, she will naturally know how to do from being in college for the next two years. This goes back to your question about training. Sometimes you're training yourself and you don't even know it. I think a lot of what we're talking about here is just going to be natural. It's going to be in the water and we won't even know it. Yeah, and I would just extend that. Getting everybody into generative AI, teaching them the concepts, teaching them the prompting is going to enhance our ability to just run a better investment process to be a better technology company. The thing that excites me in this next year, and I am really thinking about from now, is getting people more into AI, getting people like hands-on into co-pilots and chat assistants and enabling them to get to that first draft that we described earlier faster with higher quality. That's thing one. Thing two is there will be a number of jobs that we want to automate, that we want to create greater automation and not to the exclusion of the human supervisor, but getting those rote tasks to a greater place of automation, I think is immediate and exciting for me. So more of us becoming Gen AI enabled and empowered and more of us doing the highest value work rather than the rote tasks, that is near and present and super exciting for me. And it sounds like more people becoming students of technology. It sounds like the evolution in AI is going to push everybody in that direction. And guys, I want to thank you for joining us on the podcast as almost the professors of technology that we will look to, I'm sure, down the road again. Rob, Lance, thanks for joining us. Great. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Bid. If you've enjoyed this episode, check out our two-parter on AI featuring Brad Betts and Jeff Shen, where we look at the history of investing in AI and potential future applications in finance. Subscribe to The Bid wherever you get your podcasts. 
This content is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or a solicitation. Reliance upon information in this material is at the sole discretion of the listener. In the UK and non-European economic area countries, this is authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. In the European economic area, this is authorised and regulated by the Netherlands Authority for the Financial Markets. For full disclosures, go to blackrock.com slash corporate slash compliance slash bid dash disclosures.